0: So what's on your mind? Let's take a little mental inventory. Now we already know what's on President Grandpa's mind. (laughs) But perhaps others of you have uh, taken a closer look at the uh, speaker's leprous face and wondering where he got that sunburn. Or more likely, perhaps you're thinking about paperwork back at the office, thinking about a meeting coming up, deadlines, pressures. Perhaps financial troubles, bills, taxes, house needs, the car falling apart, relationship problems, roommates, spouse, children, the unsafe neighborhood around our house, local shootings I've read about in the paper, mean and nasty neighbors, our country in crisis, immorality, selfishness, terrorism. How much of our reality is overwhelmed by stress and fear and anxiety and anger, depression and feelings of failure? Perhaps it's time to renew our vision. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word from Revelation chapter 1. Beginning at verse 9, Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. You may be seated. It had been a long, hard day, and the old apostle finally had the chance to rest his weary body. He felt the ache in his muscles and the soreness burn throughout his body as he stretched out in an almost dreamlike state. His mind quickly turned to the past. The last few decades had been filled with more wonder and turmoil than he had ever expected for his generation. He actually witnessed the presence of God's Messiah finally come to Israel. He had been a part of the close circle of followers who had lived with Jesus the Christ for the three years of his ministry on earth. He had been confused and bewildered and shocked along with the others when their Lord was crucified. And he was witness to the indescribable awe of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He was part of the birth and the growth of the church, which carried on Jesus' mission. The miracles, the conversions, the expansion of God's kingdom all took place before his very eyes. And now he and the rest of the new Christian movement were anxiously awaiting Christ's return to call believers home to glory in heaven. Suddenly, a sharp pain in his leg brought his thoughts back to reality. His glorious memories were all being threatened by the events of the present day. It seems everything had turned wrong. Persecution and oppression in various forms appeared to be destroying the church. Christians were losing faith and giving up the way of the gospel. The work of Christ appeared to be falling apart. Fear of the present reality struck the apostle John full in the face, the vision of God's kingdom was fading from the eyes of believers everywhere. This imaginative description of a moment late in the life of the Apostle John reflects a genuine concern for the church. Loss of the vision of God's kingdom is a dangerous threat to the work of the Lord, The church was faced with this threat late in the first century, and in many ways the contemporary church is faced with a similar threat now in the 21st century. As we seek to overcome such a threat, it may be helpful to recognize some of the reasons for our loss of vision. The crisis for the church at the end of the first century came in the form of persecution and oppression. By late in the first century, many of the apostles of Jesus had been killed as martyrs. John may have been the last one left of the original twelve when he was exiled on the island of Patmos, a small island in the Mediterranean where criminals were forced to do hard labor in a rock quarry. At the same time, Christians in Asia Minor were suffering oppression from a variety of sources. Some were being persecuted by those who were stirring up riots and leveling charges against Christians, which led to their arrest, imprisonment, and sometimes death. In addition, the Roman state viewed Christians with suspicion because of the violent disruptions of which they seemed to be in the center. And furthermore, the emperor himself was known for instigating persecution against Christians, and in fact, anyone who did not honor him. Domitian enforced emperor worship, demanding to be considered as though a god. Refusal to comply was considered treason, and Christians who refused to worship the emperor were subject to economic restrictions, loss of property, banishment, imprisonment, and death. Domitian didn't just single out Christians, but was known for a general reign of terror stemming from a warped personality and excessive arrogance, Imagine such a fearsome ruler with a great sword by his side as a constant threat to your well-being. For the church, the result of this persecution was loss of the Christian vision. Pain, anxiety, and fear tended to occupy the minds of believers and exclude all other perceptions. The Christians of the late first century were losing hope And faith in God's glorious realm, which was supposed to be characterized by justice and righteousness and love. It's not hard to see a similar loss of vision within the church today. Circumstances are different than that of the first century, but the church is faced with a similar crisis. There are a number of reasons for loss of vision in the contemporary church. Events in our modern society can be said to reflect a general reign of terror of their own. Modern times have witnessed two world wars and numerous regional atrocities related to warfare. Terrorism has replaced communism as this generation's looming threat, still overcast by the shadow of nuclear holocaust. Olive Hurst, Thurston... Columbine, Youth with a Mission, New Life Church, still echo in our hearts the unimaginable pain of the death of our young people and our neighbors. We could rehearse numerous examples of violence, occasions of dread related to weapons and drugs and gangs and kidnappings and murders and rapes and more. We're all too familiar with these daily reports in the media concerning which we have likely become numb. Our vision is limited also by the stresses we so commonly experience. There's never enough money, too many demands at work, too much strife and tension in our relationships, so we're in debt, we're experiencing heart attacks, far too many of our marriages are falling apart. Our vision is clouded. Also by disillusion. Our modern society appeared to hold such great promise in the beginning. Remember thinking that when we reached the 21st century, life would be like the Jetsons. You know, zipping around through the air in cars and robots serving in all of our homes. Technology appeared to have such promise to solve all our problems Nuclear power could ward off our enemies and supply all our energy demands. Rockets could take us to Mars, and computers would produce vast amounts of information for us. To our dismay, however, nuclear power threatens us with dangerous radiation. In the hands of terrorists, it's a horrifying threat. A rocket ship sent to Mars not too many years ago was actually lost in space. And tell me honestly, how many times have you pulled out your hair by the roots because of computer malfunctions? <laughs> yes, consider these great advantages of our modern technology. You can actually have breakfast in London, lunch in Paris, and luggage in Denver. <laughs> As a result of the disillusionment of our modern world, we're said to be experiencing a postmodern society. This has only increased our need to regain vision in the church. Postmodernism is described as pluralistic, broadly inclusive. In relation to religion, postmodernism embraces every view imaginable. As a result, our country has experienced a resurgence of a variety of beliefs. For example, the trend which has been labeled a type of neo-paganism has become popular, Not long ago, a news report in San Francisco told of a parent who was protesting to the school board because his elementary age child was being taught basic rituals of witchcraft in the public classroom. People are searching for truth. They're open to everything, including paganism, mysticism, neo-Nazi practices, and so much more what could be seen as a great opportunity for the evangelistic mission of the church has become a source of confusion and frustration. Violence, stress, disillusion, confusion. Only a few examples of the many obstacles which obstruct the vision of the church in the 21st century. When overwhelmed with stress or pain, it's a human tendency To develop tunnel vision, we tend to see our world in light of our problems. We begin to withdraw into the private worlds we have created for our comfort in order to escape the frightening reality which surrounds us. The reality of life which the first century Christians experienced was strife coming from their community and the deadly threat of a powerful emperor with a threatening sword by his side. Likewise, reality today is defined by our afflictions and stresses and fears. Like the recipients of the revelation to John, we need to hear a word from God which would expand our vision. The church needs to expand its vision of reality. One of the ways in which God addressed this need is through the inspiration of a new vision communicated in the book of Revelation. I want to emphasize that the visions in the book of Revelation are not just intended for those at the end of time. It is an image directed at every generation which needs to be reminded of the present reality of God's kingdom. Thus, the book of Revelation was just as significant, perhaps more so for the Christians of the first century, as it is for those today or at the end of time. Notice how the book is introduced. Chapter, four of, chapter 1, verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. This is addressed as a communication to seven churches in Asia Minor. Not initially to churches in the 21st century. Thus, like the letters of the Apostle Paul, we're privileged to be reading someone else's inspired mail. Note the words of verse 9 in chapter 1 of Revelation once again. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. John identifies himself as a fellow partaker in the tribulation. He was not referring here to some future end time tribulation about which we debate whether the rapture will take place before, during, or after. Rather, he's referring to the first persecution of the first century which he was experiencing firsthand on the island of Patmos. Thus, God's response presented to the early church from which we too may benefit through the gracious application of the Spirit is a new vision. As I read the introduction of this vision once again, keep in mind the character of vision. Visions constitute communications which are intended to be seen. That's why the Greek term edu appears throughout the book of Revelation. This Greek particle is actually taken from an imperative form of the verb which means to see. So 26 times throughout the 21 chapters of Revelation, John writes the command, See! Look! It's often translated in our English Bibles with the word, Behold! It's intended to cause the reader or the listener to look at what is being said. Consequently, as we often say of our children, Revelation is primarily intended to be seen and not heard. An illustration of this irony occurs in verse 12 of the first chapter. I turned to see the voice. We get concerned when people say they hear voices. And John's asking us to see a voice. So as I read our text again. I want you to see it. Look at it. I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Allow the vision to have its impact on your mind and your heart. Imagine a being dressed in a full robe with a golden sash, eyes flaming with fire, feet glowing as from a furnace, voice like a mighty ocean, and a large sword between his teeth. This being is so large that he holds seven stars from the galaxies in his right hand, and his face shines like the sun blinding your eyes. It's no wonder John passed out as if dead. Through the communication of this image, John was to expand the vision of reality for the first century church. The people of the early church were surrounded by fear and oppression. The reality which they saw was an emperor who threatened their lives and neighbors who persecuted them. The vision which John received from the Lord, however, testified to a much greater reality that also existed in that very day. John's inspired words infused the church with a picture of a greater truth than the pain which surrounded them. As the vision sunk deep into the lives of the early believers, they were to gain new strength and inspiration. Why should they fear a tiny human emperor with a sword by his side when they served an omnipresent God who holds a two-edged sword in his mouth, stars in his hands, and flames of fire in his eyes? The human emperor may be able to kill them, but they serve a God who was dead and is alive forevermore and holds the power of resurrection. Surrounded, strengthened by the vision of the greater reality of God's kingdom, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church did not die Rather, many of its members were so bold as to proclaim the glory of God's kingdom, even when killed as martyrs for the faith. The church did not fail, but has survived and proclaimed the gospel for these 2,000 years by the grace of God. The reality of God's kingdom is still evident today. I often want to see evidence of God through grand miracles which display his power, like those described in the Old Testament, the creation, the flood, the crossing of the Red Sea, fire on Mount Carmel, and so many others. However, one of the first testimonies which really expanded my vision of the reality of God's kingdom came from a rather ordinary man who had a loving wife, And four daughters. This man was part of a family scene that was all too common a few years ago in America. The man did not go to church. He was not involved in religious concerns. His wife, however, was a committed believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every week she gathered up their children and took them to church, leaving the man behind. Each week she prayed that her husband would come to know the Lord and join her at church. She never nagged, she never pushed. In fact, she served her husband graciously in every way. Meanwhile, she prayed and longed for his change of heart. He was not necessarily a cruel man, though he did appear gruff and distant. He seemed to care mostly for his own, and his sense of reserve almost frightened others away. One day, a preacher came to the man's home and introduced the man to Jesus Christ and told him about God's kingdom. And miraculously, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the wife's prayers were answered. The man not only attended church with his family, he became a leader in the congregation. He served as a greeter, an usher, and chairman of the board. And when the church went through very difficult times, he maintained a stable leadership of lay ministry when so many others abandoned that congregation today that church is thriving with growth in the context of serving the Lord. It may have been enough for me just to hear that testimony and believe in the reality of God's kingdom and its power to change lives. But the real impact of that story came to me when it touched my own life. The preacher in that story was my father when I was 14 years old, that preacher died. And at that time, the man in this story who had come to know Christ stepped in. And in many significant ways, he took on the role of my father. Taught me to drive a car, took me to visit his workplace. He played with me and my friends. He fed me at his table and always opened his home to me. At a time of crisis, when my reality was diminished, by the pain of loss and death, when my heart cried out, is this all there is to my reality? The greater reality of God's kingdom came in the form of a caring Christian man transformed by God's grace. As the church faces this 21st century, we have to realize there's more to reality than the problems which oppress us the stresses that restrict us or the violence which frightens us. We live as citizens of God's kingdom. We pray, we meditate on his word, we worship the Lord, we practice our devotions daily, we help our neighbor in need. We even wake up singing in the morning. A pastor friend of mine encourages his congregation to set the tone for every day by starting the morning with song. These are just small illustrations of how we practice the greater reality of God's kingdom. Knowing that ultimately God's realm has already secured eternal victory over sin and death. Nothing can prevent us from living in the present reality of the kingdom of God and fulfilling the call which God has placed on our lives. The traumas around us are not all that exists. God's kingdom is real now. In this day, we must expand our vision and see the greater reality and truth of God. That's the exhortation which comes from the book of Revelation. Let's grasp it. Let it sink into our minds and hearts. Most of all, let's practice its existence So be inspired, be encouraged. Serve the Lord without fear or despair for God's kingdom is real and greater than any concern in this universe. Perhaps you need to regain your view of the reality of God's kingdom and your place in it as God's servant. So look, see the truth of God's rule in the world. And let us commit ourselves fully to Christ and living in God's kingdom today.
1: Better standing, so do be thou my wisdom and thou my truth. Says I, each unknown man's empty praise. Thou, mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. Thine King of heaven, my treasure thou art. of heaven my victory won may I reach heaven's joys bright heaven's sun heart of
0: Lord, consume us with the vision of your presence and your reality. In Jesus' name, Amen.